today is kind of a standalone sermon, and uh, we're going to be looking at uh, the kingdom gospel. And you're like, well, what does that mean? Because it can mean a lot. Exactly. So, uh, and I will say that the, the impetus for this sermon today, kind of coming forth, comes out of this thesis statement that the disciples that we make are dictated by the gospel that we teach, the gospel that we model and pursue. So it's important for us to have an understanding. So quickly, just to start, uh, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to ask some questions, okay? So God, we love you. We thank you for this morning. We thank you already just for a rich time of worship and fellowship, Lord, that in prayer and in song and in testimony of, of family intention and gratefulness, Lord, we have already experienced, Lord, the, the, the message of your goodness, and, and in a very real way, just your goodness uh, straight from you, God. We pray that as we continue this time of uh, this time this morning, Lord, that as we come to your word, Lord, that we would have uh, just a humble posture, Lord, an open heart, an open mind, God, and Lord, wanting our understanding to be transformed by your truth and not trying to conform your truth to our understanding. So, Lord, as we dig into the kingdom gospel and this word, that we that maybe we hear a lot, but yet maybe there's some convolutedness with it. I pray that you would just give us a deep conviction uh, that, that aligns with your heart and will, and clarity that would allow us to proclaim with 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 great effectiveness the love and truth of Christ in this world. So, Lord, all we do is for your glory. Take this time, use it, Lord, whether it's through me or in spite of me. Take these words and catch them aflame by the work of you, your Holy Spirit, God. Because without that. Uh, nothing will happen. So we love you, we praise you, we give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. So a few questions for you, all right? So show of hands, and again, I know that people come, especially on a day like today, we have a lot of visitors. It is possible that, that you have zero context for so much of the language we use today, and I just want to go ahead and give you complete freedom to be there. And so I'm about to ask some questions about, like, of what you're familiar with, and if you're not, it is not abnormal. It's okay. And so if you're not, don't be ashamed to keep your hand down. It's okay, because as we will see, even those that raise their hands, maybe we, we don't have as much clarity as we think we do, okay? So here are the questions today. Uh, how many of you would say that you believe the gospel of Jesus? Show of hands. Okay, just keep them up, okay? Good. Of those that raised your hands, how many of you, I said keep them up, come on, I know it's a little workout, lactic acid is going to build up in the shoulder here. How many of you have heard the expression, preach the gospel to yourself daily? Okay, so that, and that's a popular, you know, that, that's a popular teaching. It's important, I will say, uh, you know, we, we don't need to, need to proclaim it to others, but we need to teach it to ourselves. How many of you would say that you are confident that you could articulate the gospel to yourself and someone else? Okay, of those who your hands are up, how many of you will stand up right now and articulate it for us? <laughs> good. Praise God. I'm glad there are some of you that would. That's good. You can put your hands down. But, you know, I, I, those questions, it's a common word, it's a common theme, it's a common concept if you're semi-regular to church. And it's even common in the world. Maybe you've heard this expression before. They'll, someone will make a statement and they'll make a, a qualifier to the extent of either, and that's gospel truth, or don't take that as gospel. So even the world uses this term of the gospel in a way that is meant to communicate some veracity, some force, some reliability. And yet, when it comes down to defining it, uh, I would say there's a pretty wide scope. I just did a quick Google search, and I'm not going to throw up everything I did, but just kind of define the gospel. And I looked at everything just kind of from general dictionary de definitions to some theological leaders and doctrinal leaders, and, and, and there were, you would be astonished by the, the diabolically different 
categorical definitions that you would see out there from, from leaders. So this is an important, uh, important, important topic for us to dig into because it is the foundation of our faith. Uh, it's, a, it's a word that you hear a lot. Um, but maybe seldom agreed upon. I appreciate how Scott McKnight summarizes this thought. He said, I believe the word gospel has been hijacked by what we believe about personal salvation, and the gospel itself has been reshaped to facilitate making decisions. The result of this hijacking is that the word gospel no longer means in our world what it originally meant to either Jesus or the gospels in Scripture. So today, as we get into this, it's going to be a little bit different than normal. Instead of being our, our typical kind of teaching through a passage, we'll be thematically teaching through the five common cultural understandings of the gospel contrasted against the gospel Jesus taught, which we're calling the kingdom gospel. So this message is built on the foundation laid by a book called uh, Conversion and Discipleship by Bill Hull, as well as a, a cohort that I've been a part of with six other uh, pastors and ministry leaders for the last six months or so and still continuing for a few more months. But in, in one of those people in the cohort being uh, our friend and pastor from our sending church, Grace Bible Church, West Brazelton. So it's been a rich conversation and a work of kind of digging into uh, God's truth as well as the implications on us and the church. So that's the foundations of this text. That's a great book I would recommend. It. We have a copy at the, at the office if you'd like to check it out. Um, but that's, that's, uh, that's kind of where we're coming from today. So let's start just kind of in quick form the five commonly held views of the gospel uh, that, that, that are short of the kingdom gospel. And when I say short, none, none of these kind of cultural definitions or expressions of the gospel are, are completely wrong. They're not absolutely wrong. But they are all incomplete and will therefore ultimately lead to a skewed Christian expression in your life and in that of the church. Okay? So here we go. There'll be some notes on the screen to help you along to kind of see the categories. Um, so first off, we're going to start with the left gospel. The left gospel, L-E-F-T, the left gospel. This is most commonly taught in the liberal and emergent churches today. Now, when I say left, I'm not talking about your political leanings, although there may be some commonality and some kind of um, correlation here. We're talking about doctrinally. And so when we talk about the, the left gospel, the left gospel comes out of a liberal theology that questions the supernatural work and existence of God and that there is an absolute truth for all mankind. So that's the left gospel. It's, it's the diminishing of the supernatural, which also means that we have a supernatural need to overcome. It also diminishes the supernatural in the fact of what is the hope of the world. And because there's a, a questioning of, of a need for a supernatural savior for an eternal salvation, this earth becomes heaven. This earth becomes the extent of which we try to create our peace. And so what we see that the mantra of the left gospel would be this. It would be help the needy. So a huge emphasis of the left gospel uh, would, be, would be social service and justice mission. And if you're alarmed, we're not saying those things are bad. Again, remember, none of these are absolutely wrong. They're, they're just incomplete. And so, of course, Jesus has commanded us over and over again, and he modeled it going to the least and the lost, right? But this is what we see. The mantra would be, help the needy, and that makes sense if heaven is here on earth. That makes sense. We've got to make it heaven. So what the left gospel ends up creating, what it creates, is that it cares for needs, 
but it accommodates to culture. And why does it accommodate to culture? It accommodates to culture because truth is optional and unknowable. So you don't have this, this impulse, this urgency of eternal purpose and hope, and also you don't have these rails of, of a absolute truth given by a glorious and good God. So that's what we see in the left gospel. Now, I know that you, there's probably a lot of questions to kind of some of those implications, but hopefully by contrasting and focusing more on the kingdom gospel and all that it is and focusing on the positive of that, we'll be able to see some of the implications and then let this just be a primer for conversation. And by the way, let me just encourage you. We all go do things after church, right? A lot of you go do, whether it's just with your little unit that you came with or whether you all get together, let us encourage one another to stir one another up. And re, like the time that this is going to be freshest of what we've just heard would be right after this. So let me encourage you to maybe discourse over some of these things over lunch today and make that a habit of doing that we could sharpen one another, challenge one another, and submit our understandings to God's truth in community. Um, so that's the left gospel. Next, we have uh, the prosperity gospel. And, and, and maybe you're familiar with that. The prosperity gospel replaces a preeminent God with one who becomes the means to worldly ends. So what this means is that, God, if I obey you, you are obliged to bless me with tangible, material things. And so therefore, you know, life is all about you. It's about what's best for you. It's about how to achieve what's best for you and for you to live out your full earthly potential. And so we in the prosperity gospel, we obligate God to be beholden to us. Because we are obedient, he has to bless us. It becomes about us, not about him. Our salvation is what we get from God here on earth, and our view of heaven is what we will have in heaven. Again, it's all about us and all about material, and it's not about worshiping the Almighty God. The mantra of the prosperity gospel would be, claim your rights. Claim it. It's yours. You are the master of your domain. You get to decide what's yours, and you get to determine what God's expression of favor on your life would be. What the prosperity gospel creates, it creates an entitlement culture in which we manage God by good behavior. And I don't know if that leaves you feeling icky or not. I, I mean, lovingly, I say I hope it does, because one, it's just selfish. It doesn't speak to us being created by a creator in his image for his glory, and it diminishes God to some, some really sad, anemic being. And I don't, I mean, if you want to ascribe that there's a God, is there any chance that that's the kind of God that you want, that you want to proclaim is the, the ultimate, holy, righteous authority of your life? So I, I hope, and I, again, humbly, you know, and, 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 and lovingly, I say, I hope it makes you feel a little gross because it's just, it, it diminishes everything to say that there is a God at all, and plus that He is good and loving and ultimately all that we could ever desire or hope for. And so that's the left gospel, that's the prosperity gospel, and these next three we're going to look at, these are the three that I have spent the most time in and been exposed to and probably been influenced with by the most just in culture and the churches I've been a part of um, in my history. Um, and I've been in church all my life, came to know Christ when I was in middle school, but was, a, was in church before that and would have said I was a Christian before that. Um, and have always been a part of the church. So it's a long history here. So our next gospel we're going to look at that we see kind of influenced by culture and, and incomplete in its expression is the consumer gospel. 
So we've got the left, the prosperity. Now this is the consumer. The consumer is kind of the, the kissing cousin of the prosperity gospel. It's not far off. This is where you see sermon titles that sound more like cosmopolitan articles, right? I mean, like five ways to succeed in the workplace. That's a comment. Or seven S's for a sibling sex life, dot, 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 in your marriage, right? I mean, like that sounds a lot like Cosmo. But that's the kind of titles we see in these consumer gospels. And it's because, because it's about meeting your needs. It's a service provider mentality. And you are there to partake of religious goods. You can see the impact of this mindset in how many of our churches have merely become social contexts to support our therapeutic needs. And how often have you heard people say, this church doesn't meet my needs, and they go find another church? They're saying that I've got this specific set of needs and this church can't do it, so I'm going to go to another church that's going to have the programming and the infrastructure in place, as opposed to, I believe the Word of God and the community of God is sufficient to teach me and train me to be a disciple of Jesus that I can then walk alongside others, and that the people of the church become the way in which we... Well, I'm kind of giving away the end. So, <laughs> it's so hard to pace myself. I just It's so hard to like wait for it, because this all just it makes my skin crawl a little bit. So... Um, anyway, so, but, <laughs> but you can see the impact. I mean, it's, it becomes about just meeting your therapeutic needs. And that's what we become about. The mantra of the consumer gospel would be meet your needs. What this, what this consumer gospel creates, it creates a self-indulgent and impatient me-centered culture resulting in an addiction to your own desire. And I would say this is a very prevalent kind of form of, of church we see in our, in our American culture today. And is it any wonder there are so many people just that feel trapped and unable to overcome sin? We will always battle sin in this life. It is true. It is biblical. We would call God a liar to say that we didn't sin, even in Christ. But yet there is a promise of freedom. And if we are addicted to desire... How will we ever find freedom? And this is all in the pursuit of relevance. That's the big key term. So that's the consumer gospel. Now we have, so we have the left gospel to start with. Now we have the right gospel, right? Okay, so again, not so much politically as we're talking about theologically, doctrinally. And in the right gospel, knowledge equals spiritual maturity. And in these expressions of the church, you see a lot of this. Everyone comes and sits and they listen to one person. And all of the things that they would call discipleship would be information exchange where you come and you listen and you gather information and you get the key terms and you're able to say the key terms and you're able to show what you know. And then you're able, in the advanced classes, you start talking about things like dispensationalism and predestination and soteriology. And, and it's all about all these terms. And the more you know, the more spiritually mature you are. That's the, that's the right gospel. The Bible the Bible church and the Presbyterian church, they really live here. And again, we're a Bible church, and I would say this runs deep in me. I mean, just to confess right now, I mean, like this, this runs deep in me. And so, like, again, there are some beautiful things to this. And we already heard earlier with the Minkies, like their love and their conviction for the Word of God and knowing it, we need that. But yet when it becomes about just the knowledge, what ends up happening is what we see their mantra to be. The mantra of the right gospel would be that right makes might. You might have heard might makes right, but this is right makes might. Those who know the most get the most power in this, in this culture and infrastructure. What else happens in the, in the, 
this right gospel. We could also call it the be right gospel. It's about being right. And, and every bit of energy and passion and, and effort goes towards establishing what is right and then forcing others to agree on what you say is right. And disagreement would equal separation and detachment. And so the right gospel demands to be right, and anyone who disagrees, they exclude them. They say, you're not a part of us. We're going to boycott you. We're going to say, you can't come here. You're not welcome here. You don't believe like we do. And so they, they say, we're going to, it's most important to be right. By the way, what is the most important thing for a Christian? What's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, right? And then the second is what? Love your neighbor as yourself. And then everything else, all of the other commands come out of that. So all the other commands are important. In the Great Commission, we're told to teach all that I have commanded you. Teach them to obey all that I have commanded you. So yes, it is important to know what the Word teaches, but yet not at the expense of loving as Christ loved. Remember what the love of Christ compelled Him to do. The love of God compelled Him to do what? to enter into the mess, to enter into the disagreement, to come alongside and to love out, to love people out of their captivity, to love people out of their sin, into transformation. Oh gosh, again, I'm getting ahead of myself. Into being transformed in him. So what it creates, what the, what the right gospel creates is a culture of theological swagger and exclusiveness and detachment. Yeah. So if you laughed, I'm assuming that kind of hit home. You've experienced it, whether from someone else or yourself. I mean, I, I mean, I know, like, I love words. I'm not that smart, but I love words. And I use, like, it happened the other day. I used, oh, incandescent at the row. We just tripped a breaker. Um, it's real intimate now, guys. So uh, um, <laughs> at the Rojas's the other night, we are talking about glow-in-the-dark paint. And, and I said, oh, incandescent paint. And, and, I'm, and they said, no, glow-in-the-dark paint. And I was like, it's the same thing. They are like, why didn't you just say glow-in-the-dark then? I was like, I don't know. I just like thinking. They said, that's such a heath thing to do. So apparently, I like to use unnecessarily big words. So imagine the difficulty for me of being tempted towards theological swagger and what I know about the things of God. So this is real. Uh, the missional mandate for the, for the right gospel is often expressed more as a, a make-the-world-agree-with-me mandate and uh, let there be light. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Um, so that's the right gospel. The be right gospel. Right makes might. Uh, creates a culture of theological swagger and exclusiveness and detachment. And again, we see, hopefully we're already starting to see kind of how this doesn't align with the heart of God and the work of Christ. Um, so next we come to, this is probably the most prevalently taught gospel in the American church, even though, well, I would just say that's probably the most prevalently taught um, gospel in the American church. This is the forgiveness-only gospel. And when I worked through this, I, man, I saw myself, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm right in the middle of this, as far as like the behavior reflecting what I believe. Now, I, I probably expressed a more complete gospel that we'll get to, but this is probably the behavior that I expressed. And so this is the forgiveness-only gospel, and it's the gospel that kind of led to, or kind of came out of the things that produced like the four spiritual laws tracks, the, cru the salvation crusades that we saw, and it kind of follows the simple thought of, you know, you know, you will come to belief in Christ as your Savior, you will be saved, and then the next step is heaven. And everything else in between there is optional. That's kind of this forgiveness-only gospel. So we're just going to leave it like this. This is, <laughs> this is nice. Um, 
Yeah. I don't, don't leave. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm kidding. She's a new mom. She can do whatever she wants. Um, so the forgiveness only gospel, the mantra of the forgiveness only gospel would be be forgiven. And you're like, Heath, what is wrong with that? Isn't that the gospel? Most, most, you know, and it is. It's a huge part of the gospel. And I would say it's, it's really a big part of the gospel. And I would say you probably hold this gospel if when you think of what the gospel is, you think of the plan of salvation. You think of we're born sinners. You know, the, God created things good, but there's a problem because we sinned. He sent Jesus to overcome our sin and save us. And when we believe, we'll be saved. That's the gospel. That is the gospel. But if that's all that comes to your mind, you probably fit into here. And again, this was me. This is, I still have to wrestle against taking, allowing God to open my view beyond this. Um, and this really, this, this movement became really prevalent kind of starting back in the 50s along, you know, with, with Bill Bright and Billy Graham. And I am not speaking to these guys in disparaging ways. They are heroes of the faith. Bill Bright's the founder of Crew. We have some crew leaders in here, crew staff. Uh, Billy Graham, do you need a description, right? I mean, like probably one of the most influential and earth-shaking men for the gospel in this world. These guys believed a full gospel, but yet the way they went about ministry and what you saw them communicate and do in front of people kind of led to this emphasis of the forgiveness only gospel so the the crusades where it was all about coming down front and making a, a, a making a profession the, the 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 tracks making sure you share these tracks with every person on your campus um, that that led to kind of heightening this this impetus, this emphasis on on just conversion eternal salvation and I will say again just to make sure you see that both of these leaders saw a fuller picture of the gospel Bill Bright, I mean, Crew is a disciple-making ministry. Crew is an amazing disciple-making They teach so many. I love when college students from Crew and ministries like that come to be part of our church because they already get how to be a personal disciple-maker, starting with relationship before someone knows Jesus. Billy Graham brought on um, Coleman, Robert Coleman, to spearhead his, his discipling follow-up efforts. And Robert Coleman's written a couple of the most influential books on discipleship that there are. So again, they got it, but the ministry they put forth kind of built this understanding that salvation, the gospel, was only for uh, redemption, only for being saved. So, <clears throat> excuse me, let me get a sip of water. Let me collect my thoughts to talk amongst yourselves. No? Mm. So, what does this, what's the, what's the danger of this, right? You're like, Heath, this sounds really good. How could there be any downside? What this creates is a cultural, a culture of optional spirituality, holiness, and discipleship. Because you're forgiven, you, you, man, you let the forgiveness and the grace and the restoration just wash all over you, and you rest in it, and you, you love it. Rightfully, you have this beautiful view of your need for salvation and God's meeting that need, right? You have that. Like, you rest in that, but yet... Where we see the disconnect when it's forgiveness only is that you have no compulsion toward the daily work of living out uh, the life of Christ and the impact of the gospel. Sanctified, being sanctified, uh, this form of the gospel, this forgiveness only, sanctifies passivity. When I, what I'm saying there is that it validates, it makes passivity okay because you just abiding in the relationship is the best thing that you could do. And, it, and, and again, these ter- this is so tricky because, again, that's, that's beautiful. We should be ultimately satisfied by our relationship, but it should always result in more. So we're going to keep going. 
So if the gospel was only about forgiveness, there wouldn't be passages like Colossians 3, 1, 3 through 8. And if you want to turn there, you can turn there. It's also going to be on our screen in a moment. But this passage is one of the intros from Paul to the church in one of his letters. And this is just one example of quite a few of, of kind of giving the full view of the gospel. So if it was forgiveness only, we wouldn't have passages like this. We wouldn't need passages like this. So Colossians 1, 3 through 8. It says this. This is Paul. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel. So we hear there that rich, eternal, forgiving, you know, reconciling, restoring work of salvation in Christ. So we, we see that there, and then it says, so I'm going to kind of back up a little bit to re recap. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed the whole world it is, bearing fruit and increasing. This is still the gospel working. It's bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. So Paul, elated, overcome with the beauty of the work of the gospel, it wasn't just that they were a redeemed people. He didn't just say, I rejoice alongside you that one day we will have our eternal hope fulfilled and, and, and what we know now and we're just waiting for will come to all fruition and all these tears and pain and sickness and, and shame and death will be gone. That is absolutely true. But he also shows, shows that the work of the gospel is for today. The expression of the gospel is for today. The ministry of the gospel is for today. It produces both our hope for heaven, which is from forgiveness, as well as our fruit of our life, if you believe it. The Greek word for gospel is, is, is euagolion. Right? You knew that. It's used 12 times in the Gospels. That's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are the books that communicate the ministry of Jesus while he was here. All throughout Matthew and Mark, we see Jesus reference the Gospel of the Kingdom when describing the results of the work he came to accomplish. So, I skipped a note though. So it was used, the word gospel was used 12 times in the gospels. 11 of those were used before the crucifixion. The crucifixion is where forgiveness happened. But if we're talking about the gospel before crucifixion, again, that's just one more evidence that it's about something more than just forgiveness. So this leads us to what I hope you'll agree is a more complete, the, not just more complete, the complete expression of the gospel which we're calling today the kingdom gospel. I did not come up with that term. Jesus did. All throughout Matthew and Mark, we see Jesus reference what he titled the gospel of the kingdom. Here, all throughout the Sermon on the Mount is what the Sermon on the Mount is describing. The Sermon on the Mount is all about a work has been done in you in Christ, and now here is how you live it out. Here is how it expresses in your life. It's the ministry of the gospel to you every day. The kingdom gospel absolutely includes all that we've already talked about as far as the good parts of it. It includes the call to serve the hurting, the outcast, and the needy. It includes, it tells us that the greatest blessing comes from obedience to God as our holy and sovereign Lord. 
The gospel meets our every need. It gives us the right orthodoxy, which is right belief, to live out the right orthopraxy, which is right practice, and cause us to live as those who have been set apart. So it is important to know what's right. And it absolutely points out the sinfulness of mankind. It teaches us about the shed blood of Christ as the only remedy for sin, as well as the assurance that by believing in Jesus, we go to heaven. It it includes all of those things. But the kingdom gospel also emphasizes the resurrection and our union with Christ in his resurrection such that we also experience new life. The ongoing transformation. This is where we would say the gospel absolutely washes over you and me the grace for salvation. But it is also that grace that administers the work of a transformed life. And it it is not separatable. It is included. So when we say what the gospel is, it is the saving work of Christ as well as the empowering and the working to live out this transformed life in Christ and for Christ. Ultimately, the kingdom gospel is the story of God redeeming a people, enabling them to, to participate by obedience in the work of the kingdom and in doing so, experiencing God profoundly. If you're bored with Christianity, if it seems irrelevant, if you're thinking, okay, I get that Scripture says, do not cease to meet together. Do not cease, you know, it gives us these calls to come together. It gives us these these ways of life, these things that we should do. We should still away and pray. We should be uh, in fellowship with the Word. We should exhort one another. We should break bread together. We should pray pray together. We We should share and celebrate the faithfulness of God together. If you if you hear those things, but you're thinking, yeah, but what's the point? I just don't get it. It just doesn't seem like it's for us today. I would say you have probably adopted an incomplete idea of the, of the gospel of Jesus in some way, shape, or form. And, and probably for most of you, it's probably for the forgiveness-only gospel, especially if you want to hear that you feel that way, but you, pro, but you proclaim Christ as Savior. And this is where abundance comes from. You know, we hear the promise in in John 10, 10, I not only come to give you life, but to give you life to the fullest, life abundantly. This is the abundance. The abundance comes from, and the joy of this abundance comes comes from the work of Christ in you, but it gets smothered by engaging this life with any of these incomplete views. And so, we, to experience this abundance, it, it includes walking with Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit, covered by grace, to be transformed as we walk in the ways of Christ. The mantra of the kingdom gospel is this, it's follow me. Who are we following? Follow Jesus. Follow me. You see, when we think about the kingdom gospel this way, it makes this link. It links salvation and discipleship They're inseparable. That's a functional connection. It also links justification and sanctification. That is the work of making you right before God where you can be restored, redeemed, and reconciled. And then sanctification is the work of first you instantly being set apart for his holy purpose as a sinner who's been made a saint, but also the progressive work of you being made more like him every day as you surrender, as you pick up your cross daily. So we see the link in the kingdom gospel between those two works. And ultimately, the kingdom gospel invites us to know God now. Think about what Jesus was proclaiming. He was proclaiming the good news while he was still here to the people who have been awaiting the Messiah. 
He said, the kingdom is here, now. So the good news is, is, is also for us, it is, not, it is for now and not just for when we are in heaven. So what the kingdom gospel creates, it creates, it creates activists, those who are proactive, personally responsible and proactive, and it also creates followers of Jesus with the intent on learning to live as Jesus lived. I appreciate how I've heard it summarized this way. Our life is about learning to live the life that Jesus, we, that Jesus would live if he had your life. So, Janelle, what do you do? She's a grad student studying mechanical engineering, and that's amazing. She's way smarter than many of us. Uh, but for her, it is learning to live the life that Jesus would live if he were a grad student learning and studying mechanical engineering. Right? Get the picture. We don't have to go through everybody. That's the point, right? If Jesus were a plumber, how would he be a plumber today? Like, that's our call in this life. And that only happens through the completed work of Christ, restoring you, making you a new creation, changing all that you are, including your life's purpose and motivation. And then also as we pursue His Word and we surrender our lives to His daily, His, His daily uh, work in us of understanding, we are made more like Him. So these lesser Gospels sanctify passivity. The Kingdom Gospel creates a culture of disciples. Followers intent on learning to live and love like Jesus. It still takes the work of Christ. In, in our surrender, in our confession, in, proc- in proclaiming of Him as Savior, again, we're made new. We're totally restored. From that moment, we are called innocent. We are called His. We are adopted as sons and daughters into the family of God. But just as we died with Him, we are now raised with Him, and we have a new life. Not just one for later, but one for now. So just to help us make this connect from our heads to our hearts and from our hearts to our lives, I want to ask a few questions to close us. And this is questions maybe kind of revealing where we are at. So first, are your lives lived in faith? If you, are, if you profess Christ, are your lives lived in faith totally separated from the gospel? When you think of the gospel, does it have anything to do with your life? For others, maybe are our lives lived in faith a mere response to the gospel? That sounds right. But yet, let's hear this last one. Or are our lives lived in faith an expression of the gospel? Remember, the work of Christ is complete. You are totally new. And then in this life, you are being made more like him in the image of God. That is, as, that is what we pursue. Philippians 1.27 says this, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Let's pray. God, I just pray right now that we would be humbled and astounded, Lord, in you. Lord, that we would be in awe, Lord, of your holiness, 
of your sovereignty, of your majesty, of your power that you are transcendent above all things. Or that although we were created in your image, you are also wholly different than we are because you are eternal. Lord, I thank you that even though we fall way short of your holiness, we fall way short of the ability of living out your purpose in this life and your grace. You have restored us in Christ. In your grace, you have made a way for us to be whole once again, for us to be redeemed, for us not to have the stamp of guilty on us, but innocent. Lord, that you knew and saw that we could not attain to your righteousness and in your great love and grace. You made a way for us to be restored and saved for now and eternity. And Lord, I pray that we would also in our hearts see that it is not just about resting and claiming that, but it is also about living out the life of Christ as he would today. Lord, we know that that goes way beyond just asking what would Jesus do in each moment because that is a response. It is That is just a response, but Lord, you have given us the opportunity, the gift, the invitation to live life as an expression, a result, an output of the work that you've done. So Lord, I just pray with great humility, Lord, as this is challenging to think about, Lord, I know our tendency is going to be just to go and refine our list or our formula and adhere to it, but I pray that what we would hear is an invitation to communion with an almighty God and to live a life empowered by the Holy Spirit, sealed in Him, or made possible by the work of Christ, administered by grace. So Lord, as we are, we just kind of come to you with open arms, open hearts, open lives. I pray that we would be uh, a church that helps each other live in this way, calls each other to a deeper, deeper truth and understanding. And Lord, at the end of the day, um, We love as Christ loves, and we proclaim the transforming truth of his work for now and eternity. So, God, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.